Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right, another week, and the Eagles are fresh off the bye with a new addition as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 153. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with NFL film senior producer Greg Cosell to discuss the addition of Golden Tate to this Eagles offense and how he will fit as the team prepares for their upcoming matchup with the Dallas Cowboys. Greg and I will discuss that battle with Dallas and how the two teams match up on on both sides of the football. Next up, we'll transition to my scouting report segment where I'll go through my notes on Amari Cooper and what I thought of him coming out of Alabama a couple of years ago and how he's transitioned to the NFL. And then just how my overall evaluation of the receiver position has transformed even over the last couple of months. But before we get into that, let's not waste any more time. I caught up with Greg Cosell this week to discuss the Eagles, the addition of Golden Tate, and how this team will match up with the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday Night Football. Let's get to that chat now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Pleased to be joined once again here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, none other than NFL Film senior producer Greg Cosell. Joining us from his desk in the film room at NFL Films, Greg, we pushed back the recording here for the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, for this segment at least, just to make sure we kind of ingested that film from Monday night's game, the Dallas Cowboys taking on the Tennessee Titans. We didn't want to talk about Amari Cooper and how he fits with this offense without seeing it on film first. So that's why we put it back a few hours. Let's take in the film, see what we thought. But before we dive into that film, Greg, I think we'd be remiss. You and I haven't really discussed the addition of Golden Tate to this Eagles offense and just kind of how we view him fitting in with all the weapons already here in Philadelphia. So Real quick, in a vacuum, before we talk about how he fits here in Philadelphia, talk about the skill set for Golden Tate and what Eagles fans can kind of expect from him based off what you've seen throughout his career in in film study. Tate's predominantly, Fran, been a slot receiver in his career. Now, he has lined up outside, but he's always been very, very good run after catch. Uh, He almost has a, a running back's body for a wide receiver. So he's been very good uh, in the short passing game where he can make catches and then become a running back, essentially. Uh, He's very good in the screen game, which is something the Eagles do a lot of. He's very good at that, the wide receiver screen game. Uh, So to me, it'll be interesting because I think he certainly can line up outside at times, but he's, he's really made his money as a slot receiver. And over the years, he's been one of the best at that in the NFL. Yeah, I think to me, like his competitiveness with the ball in his hands, without the ball in his hands, really just kind of stands out. I mean, you talk about him with the ball in his hands after the catch and, you know, those jet sweeps and the screens and all that stuff. Uh, You know, I remember back in 2016, even uh, when he played the Eagles, this was Doug Peterson's first year. He was used as a running back on a handful of plays and showed the ability to do things like that. So getting the ball in his hands is absolutely uh, something you want to be able to do with him because of what he's like after the catch. 
I think when I see this offense really just kind of come into form, I, I'm just excited to see you know how he's able to complement what you already have in Nelson Aguilar, Zach Ertz, guys that work over the middle of the field. I really don't think it'll be a thing where you know Nelson Aguilar goes to the sideline and Golden Tate comes in. Obviously, you'll see some packages where that's the case, but I more see it where they kind of now have the ability to kind of mix and match Nelson and Tate, whether they play both inside, outside, whether both guys are lined up in the slot. Uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun just to see how those guys kind of complement each other because they do have some similar skill sets, but uh, certainly can be used on the field at the same time as well. Well, that'll be interesting. And what'll be interesting is when the Eagles line up in 12 personnel with two tight ends yeah. is uh, – uh, again, they can be very uh, diverse formationally doing that, so it's not just a conventional thing where the tight ends are necessarily inside and the two wide receivers are outside, but I think there'll be times when that's the case, and it'll be interesting to see who the other outside receiver is with Jeffrey when they do that. Uh, then just one final point. I think at his core, Doug Peterson's offense has a lot of, of short pass, run after catch concepts to it. Obviously, they take shots down the field. Every team does. Every team has intermediate route concepts. But I think with Doug, you do see a lot of, of short pass with the idea being that you'll run after catch. And clearly that plays to Tate strengths. One last question, too. I mean, with, the, with how much the Eagles have relied on 12 personnel, when you first heard the, 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 uh, the deal go through, what was what kind of went through your mind from that standpoint? Like, do you do you think that the Eagles will use? And we don't know the answer. We'll find out Sunday night. But do you think that the Eagles will use more three receiver sets, more eleven personnel than what we've seen with the addition of Tate? Or do you think uh, it'll kind of be what the status quo has been? Well, my first thought was uh, it made me think of what they think of Nelson Aguilar because Nelson Aguilar has not had the same kind of year this year as he's had last year, and we don't need to go into all the potential reasons for that, but certainly he's not been the force or presence that he was a year ago. So my first thought was, okay, how do they see this? Because ultimately Tate, at his best, is a slot receiver. So do they see Aguilar as someone who can line up outside? Do they see Tate as someone who can line up outside? It just made me think of, of how do they in the building view Nelson Aguilar? Well, I guess now we can transition really to how this offense matches up with this Dallas Cowboys defense here on Sunday night because uh, really it's been kind of a two-year transformation, honestly, watching this defense, Greg, because you know Rod Marinelli is the defensive coordinator, and we know what the identity is of Rod Marinelli. It's heavy zone coverage, four-man rush, a little bit of blitzing here and there, but four-man rush, heavy zone and in the past, it had been zone coverage with a reliance more on Tampa, too, coming from that Lovey Smith, you know, uh, Tony Dungy background. But over the like last year, we got to see a little bit more single high. This year, this offseason, they bring in Chris Richard, who had been the defensive coordinator in Seattle. Uh, and now he is the pass game defensive coordinator, the DB's coach. And it seems like it's much more now single high, heavy reliance on cover three, cover one. Uh, what have you seen really from this Dallas defense? Yeah, I think it's it started over the last couple of years. Now it just gets into frequency. But I think that you do see more cover one. You do see more man coverage. You see a little more blitz. Uh, Jalen Smith tends to be the blitzer. I'm sure that is the influence of Chris Richard. You can make the argument that Jalen Smith has sort of become the Bobby Wagner of this when they do blitz. Um, so it's it's a, it still relies primarily, though, on, on front four pressure. And they've got some very good players in their front four that can pressure the quarterback. I think they stunt a good amount and they're effective with it. Uh, 
you know, I think a concern that they do have, which will be interesting in this game, is when they do play cover one, the predominant tight end matchup is Jeff Heath. Uh, and, of course, when when the Eagles have either Zach Ertz or Dallas Goddard, if they're playing 11 personnel with only one tight end on the field, normally Ertz would be the tight end. Is, is that the matchup? Is it Jeff Heath? Uh, are, are there other concepts at play here? Or do they not play as much man because they feel the matchups don't work for them? Yeah, to me, that's a matchup I would love to see uh, from an Eagles perspective. And then I, one other, I want to ask, I want to ask you about a guy uh, who has made that transition, had been uh, on the back end at safety, now is on the perimeter at corner, and that's Byron Jones, former first round pick out of UConn, a guy you and I both really liked coming out of school. We liked him at corner, started his career at safety, now has flipped to the outside. What have you seen from him so far through the first half of the year? Yeah, I think he's pretty good at corner. I mean, I thought coming out, as you did, that he'd be a good corner. And, uh, you know, he moved to safety because he had size and speed, and it, and it made sense at the time for the Cowboys. But I think he's been solid. Uh, the Cowboys are a team with their corners, as you know, Fran. They play sides. So Jones plays the right side. Uh, Woozy plays the left side. They don't match up. And then they play Anthony Brown in the slot, who has experience playing both outside and in the slot. Uh, but I think Jones has been, has been a solid corner. I mean, this is a pretty good defense. Uh, I would say defense, for the most part, this season has been the strength of their team. Which, I mean, you wouldn't have thought just two years ago that you would say something like that. But I would agree with you. I think when you look at all three levels, I think that there are, are certain players you can point to and say that these guys are building block type of talents. And, you know, you look in the secondary. One of the things that's been really interesting, honestly, to watch, and this is at the second level as well, just uh, at corner safety and at linebacker, the rotation has been interesting. I mean, they play a lot, a good amount of guys in the secondary. It's been tough to kind of pinpoint uh, the rhyme and reason behind. You know, all right, when does Awuzie come in? Okay, how about Jordan Lewis? How about uh, where does Byron? Where is Byron Jones lining up? Xavier Woods is the free safety. Jeff Heath is the strong safety. But it, it's been interesting just to kind of watch how all these guys kind of get worked in. Kayvon Frazier, uh, the kid from Central Michigan, a young player. He'll, he'll come in as a big nickel type of player as well. Uh, very interesting to see the rotation there on the back end. Yeah, although they didn't do as much of that this week, so it'll be interesting to see now going forward. And obviously they played a team in the Titans that does play a decent amount with two tight ends. So you didn't really see Frazier much in this game. They pretty much stuck with Heath and with Woods, uh, and Woods was a player you and I both like coming out of Louisiana Tech. I think he's a solid pro. Uh, but yeah, and, and and Jordan Lewis, I don't I don't know if did he get any snaps at all on the defensive side this week. I I, I know he was on the field for an offensive play. I don't remember if I saw him on defense. Yeah, I saw him uh, a couple times on offense. That's right. Yeah, they pretty much stuck to Brown in the slot and a woozy, you know, who's back from injury. He's he's now playing left corner, as I said. So they really didn't do as much mixing and matching. They did that a lot of linebacker, and then of course they stopped that once Sean Lee get, got hurt. My guess is he's not going to be able to go this week because he re-injured the hamstring. Yeah, the the rotation of linebacker has been really interesting because you know Sean Lee gets the start, and that's pretty much how it's been. But then they'll bring in the first-rounder, Kyle Vanderesh, to come in, and he'll play a good amount of snaps as well. Uh, And even mid-drive, you'll see Sean Lee be in there for a couple plays, then Vanderesh will be in there. Uh, What have you seen from the rookie so far? He's a player you and I both liked as well uh, coming out of Boise State. Yeah, I like him. I think he's one of those guys that when you when you watch him, he doesn't necessarily look fluid and smooth at times, but he's big. He can run. Um, I think he's been pretty good in the box. 
so I think he's <clears throat> excuse me, I think he's done well. Um, but it's funny you mentioned linebacker. I think Jalen Smith is a much improved player from a year ago. You know, I think that he's probably another year removed from that really, really bad injury. And I think that uh, you know he's showing a lot more range and movement now. He's kind of a run and chase player. Um, you know, he's got that kind of speed and range to him, and and that's I think he's improved. There were even times uh, last night on Monday night where I was, you know, like, look, man, like trigger, like pull, pull the trigger, just go, um, as opposed to trying to go back door, you know, kind of stutter his feet and delay. Um, but yeah, overall, I mean, the guy's got all the physical traits. You and I, this is another guy. We've said this a lot already. But this is a guy you and I both really liked coming out of school. Um, you know, and the injury obviously affected where he was drafted. Uh, and then let's go to that defensive front. I mean, the best player on that defense, you could probably say, is Demarcus Lawrence, that left defensive end, uh, a guy that can win in so many different ways. He wins with technique. He's got that first step. He can win inside. Uh, just a really, really impressive player. And it's going to be a big test, whether it's Lane Johnson at right tackle or Big V. It's a big test here on, Monday, on Sunday night. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> if it turns out to be Big V, It'll be interesting because I think that'll be a little bit of a struggle for Big V. And, you know, it's one the Eagles, I think, either through game plan or through personnel with help will have to deal with, uh, especially, uh, you know, in longer yarded situations, because I think that th- th- that'll be a tough go. I mean, he gave Jack Conklin some serious problems this past week. Conklin's not a particularly good pass protector. Um, at this point of the season, you could probably make the case that Big V has not been as consistent a pass protector as he was a year ago. Yeah, and then you just look at the rest of this defensive line. I mean, Tyrone Crawford, Taco Charlton was a former first-round pick. Randy Gregory uh, was a blue-chip talent. Uh, David Irving certainly has all the physical tools to be a great player. You know, Gregory and Irving, they both come off the bench. Dorrance Armstrong, a talented kid, a rookie from Kansas. Uh, Malik Collins was a guy I know you liked coming out of Nebraska, I believe was a third-round pick. They, They rotate a lot of guys in there, and you'll see a lot of stunts and twists. They seem to have a pretty heavy reliance on spin moves as well up front. I mean, it's, it's like constant with those guys. But um, a lot of post-snap movement, and that's something that the Eagles have struggled with at times throughout the course of the season. No, I think their D-line is the kind of D-line that can, can hurt your offensive game at times, and you have to be real careful because um, they can create sacks, they can create negative plays in the run game, and then they put you behind the chains, and that's where their pass rush can really tee off, and that, that is a potential concern for the Eagles in this game. What are your overall thoughts on Taco Charlton at this point? You know, I I don't think he's flashed the way I thought he would. I mean, I still think he's a big kid who has a certain skill set that I, I, I think ultimately can develop into a quality player. But I, I don't see, that hasn't shown up on film in his first year and a half in the league. Yeah, he's you know a guy that I, and he's starting for them at right defensive end. But I would agree, you're not seeing the same the kind of flash that I think they would have liked uh, at this point so far. In his development, let's go uh, to the other side, Greg, and talk about this this Dallas Cowboys offense and the challenge uh, that the Eagles defense will have here on Sunday night at Lincoln Financial Field. Obviously, this offense it all starts with the run game and Ezekiel Elliott because uh, to me he's probably the best back in the league it's in terms of being the total package, and we're seeing a lot more from him this year as a pass catcher as well. Yeah, I think the offense still goes through him regardless of of Amari Cooper. Um, I think it has to go through him uh, in order for them to be effective. 
uh, and you're right, they, they've detached him from the formation quite a bit more this year, and I think they're, try- they're looking for explosive plays. They're looking for matchups that favor them. I mean, they did that in the overtime win when they beat Detroit. They got into overtime, and they clearly noticed that Gerard Davis, the linebacker, was on him for about four plays in a row. So they detached him, split him out, and they threw him, a, a, I think it was a slot fade. Yeah. And it was a big play that set up the field goal. So they've been using him that way. But when all said and done, it starts with him as an eye back, and that's what you have to defend. Now they'll run out of one-back sets, and they'll run out of two-back sets. Is there anything with that run game that has you know, kind of changed in your mind? What are, what are the differences with this Dallas offense now compared to when uh, his rookie year, I mean, they were one of the best offenses in football. What are the big differences in your mind? Well, I think the O-line is a little bit of a difference right now. Clearly, they don't have Frederick at center. Um, I think the rookie left guard, Connor Williams from Texas, who had to make a, a position change to play left guard, has been very up and down. Uh, so I think those two positions, center and left guard, have been sort of week-to-week propositions. Uh, they still run a lot of their same staple runs. They do like to get them on the perimeter in multiple ways, whether it's with pin-pull concepts, let's say pulling the tackle and sealing the edge, or whether it's the G scheme where they pull both guards to one side. Uh, you know, They like to get him on the perimeter, and they do it multiple ways. Uh, staying on that offensive line, because I agree with you, that's that certainly has been one area where uh, they're not quite the same as they were just a couple of years ago. Uh, Tyron Smith is still, I mean, just, I mean, he's still Tyron Smith, but uh, the injuries, you know, maybe catching up to him a little I think bit. They've taken a little bit of a toll, Fran. I agree. I mean, I think he's still a good player. I don't think he's quite as dominant as he was. Yeah, I would agree. But I, I to me, like. I think Zach Martin might be the best guy on that line. I mean, he, the matchup with him and Fletcher Cox is going to be a fun one to watch. It always is with these two teams. Well, what will be interesting is to see if, if that's what the Eagles do because they can move Cox easily and they can line him up on Connor Williams, and I think that would be a really tough go for the rookie. I, I would agree. I mean, he, Williams has really struggled with power, and obviously we know oh Fletcher can Oh, my God, there's that. been plays this year where he's just been shoved right back into the pocket. Yeah, that's and that was something that honestly there was an issue for him at Texas. Uh, you know, in terms of letting guys well, he's inside only, fast. He's not a three hundred twenty pound guy. Yeah, right, no question. You know, and you mentioned the loss of Frederick, just a, a huge loss. And then you know, Lel Collins, I think has been kind of up and down at right tackle. I think honestly, I think he's looked better throughout his career at guard. I know the last two years he has spent at tackle, but um, you know, we'll see what that means long term. Look, they took Connor Williams with the plan to keep him at guard. And they're obviously not moving Zach Martin anytime soon. So uh, it would seem that Collins is in the long-term future at guard, but or at tackle, rather. So we'll, we'll see what happens there uh, long-term. Then we'll get to these pass catchers. And, you know, the, look, the, the addition of Amari Cooper, there's no doubt about it. I mean, to me, you know, uh, an addition that needed to be made. Now we could talk about the value and the, the compensation and stuff like that, but uh, certainly is the most talented receiver on that roster right now. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, how I felt about him coming out of Alabama a few years ago in 2015, which doesn't seem like that long ago. Um, but what are your overall thoughts on Amari Cooper, his skill set, and how he ultimately fits here with the Dallas Cowboys? Well, I think he fits anywhere because I think he's got a very good skill set. Um, and I think that he probably feels like he has a renewed life, and they used him a little bit last week. What I found interesting is they've been playing Michael Gallup almost exclusively as the X, the rookie from Colorado State. And last week you saw both Gallup and Amari Cooper line up at X and at Z, so they're going to do that. At times they use Cooper as the movement receiver a lot, with some motion, some shifting. So uh, I'm sure as that builds, we'll see more with him. 
Uh, he's big. He can run. Uh, he's very good run after catch. Um, you know, I remember numerous games in college, you know, he would run slant routes, and he's just yep. big and physical. You know, he had some really good matchups in college in the SEC. Uh, but uh, he can only make them better. It's just a matter of time. Uh, but he's he's got all the traits you look for in a quality NFL wideout. Yeah, I mean, him in terms of after the catch, he's really good. Him as a route runner, I think he's one of the best pure route runners probably uh, in the entire NFL. I mean, his ability to separate, we just saw that Monday night. I mean, just on the simple, like it doesn't seem like a lot, but, you know, he wins on a 15-yard slant route. He wins on his ability just to win that. quickly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's Amari Cooper. I think no, that he's, he's going to, he'll add a lot. And it's just a matter of, of now you, well, I guess now what you get into is the entire pass game. Um, Cause I think at times this year they've struggled. I think at times this year they've run a lot of sort of isolation routes yeah. and, and that they haven't done a lot sort of with route integration and route combinations. And we'll see w- where they go now, because I think when all said and done, you're going to end up seeing a lot more 11 personnel from this team. Yeah, and when, when they go 11, we think that you mentioned, uh, you know, the rookie Michael Gallup has seen a lot of time for them, a third-round pick out of Colorado State, and then Cole Beasley in the slot. Beasley has probably looked, I don't know if you would, I would agree with this, but Beasley might look as good as I've ever seen him so far this year. Yeah, he's and, and I think ultimately when their pass game is working, I think Prescott likes throwing him the ball. I mean, when you watch the, the, the tape this past week, you knew that the Titans knew that, and I thought they were – several plays where they sort of dropped down the safety, whether you want to call it a robber or, or whatever you want to call it, where they dropped him down with sort of a focus and eyes on, on Beasley, with, because I think it was third down as well, so they were concerned about that. But he's certainly uh, very good out of the slot, and we know that that's an area now, given that the Eagles just released Dexter McDougal, so they clearly weren't happy with him. Um, so uh, that, that's an area of potential concern for the Eagles. Yeah, I mean, I I remember even just going back to the Jacksonville game. I mean, they had they had no answers for him, uh, whether it was yep. pa- Patman yep. or you know Ronnie Harrison, AJ Bouye was in the slot at times with him, and, and they had no answers. Uh, he's got that quickness, that ability to separate uh, in a hurry from the slot. Certainly, a guy that the Eagles have to be aware of. What what are your thoughts overall on what Gallup has looked like? I know you liked him more than I did coming out of Colorado State. I think he's looked pretty good. I mean, obviously, this is not an explosive pass game. They don't put up a lot of yards in the pass game, so the numbers are not very reflective of anything impressive. But I think that he was sort of advancing as an X. They were getting him the ball here and there as an X. He was running pretty good routes. I think he shows a little juice. I mean, he had that catch this week, I believe, on third down off a nice pick play where then he ran up the uh, sideline, and I thought he showed a little juice. So I like Michael Gallup. I mean, he's not going to be Julio Jones, but I think he's going to be a very solid NFL wide receiver and and then the numbers become a function of their overall pass offense. Sure and, and they're missing a big part of that pass offense with the retirement of Jason Witten now on Monday Night Football so we're seeing you know mostly Jeff Swaim uh, in that tight end spot but they do play a lot of multiple tight ends and you know they'll yes. work in Dalton Schultz, uh, Blake Jarwin, uh, they like to go Rico Gathers as well so they've got four guys They'll play a little bit of 11. They'll play a little bit of 12, 13. Uh, talk about this tight end group as a whole. Is there anybody that kind of catches your eye that maybe Eagles fans just have to be aware of going into this game? Uh, they played Blake Jarwin a bunch of snaps this week. I, yeah. He was the kid from Oklahoma State. Correct. Right? Yep. Yeah, I, I remember you know liking him coming out and thinking that he had a chance to play in the league, and obviously he's getting that chance. Um, 
he's not unathletic. I mean, he's not, you know, top three or four in terms of athletic tight ends in the league. But I remember watching him at Oklahoma State catching some balls, seam balls, and being able to go for touchdowns. You know, he has some athleticism to him. Um, I guess the guy that everybody keeps talking about, and I don't know where he stands, is, is Rico Gathers because he was a basketball player, so he does have some athleticism to him. But he really hasn't been worked in in any meaningful way yet. I got to. Ben and I were watching. Uh, ben Fennel and I were watching the film last week, and I I would venture to guess that he probably has like the highest catch to snap ratio in the NFL because it felt like he played like four or five snaps a game, and he got like one or two targets a game. So like right, uh, right. when he's on the field, it's almost like an alert. Like all right, there might be something coming his way. I agree with right, you. Right, but about it's Jerome. funny how they use him. They almost use him more in a scheme situation as yes. opposed to hey, he's a matchup tight end. And so I'm wondering if they're going to get there with him, uh, which you would think they might. They might, given his his athleticism. But I remember he had a 32 yard catch a few weeks ago, and I forget, I forget who it was against, but it was it was a schemed play. Yep, and you made a good point too about Jarwin. I remember even uh, in last night's game, he made a great block at the second level on one of their sweet plays to the right, uh, where he got up to the linebacker level and pinned him inside. So uh, a guy that can do a little bit of everything for them. And, and then lastly, uh, certainly not least, let's get to Dak Prescott. And, and obviously a guy who has struggled throughout points of this season, you know, whether it's been taking bad sacks, holding on to the football too long, making bad decisions with the football when he decides to pull the trigger. Uh, inaccuracy has plagued him a little bit. Uh, what are your overall thoughts watching Dak Prescott at this point in his well, career? There's, there's, to me, there's two thoughts to have. Either you believe that the sample size isn't large enough and he still could trend significantly up, or you believe that Dak Prescott is essentially what he's shown which is a kind of mid-range NFL quarterback who needs pieces around him uh, to be effective on a week-to-week basis. So it's one or the other. I mean, he's. Uh, my guess is we're not going to talk about Dak Prescott at any point as a top two or three quarterback in the league. I think he needs the run game to be effective. I think he needs weapons, and I think he needs a scheme that helps him. And then I think he can be a quality NFL starting quarterback. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. You know, Jerry Jones uh, certainly made some headlines here early on Tuesday, going on the radio, saying that he's going to be extended. You know, basically that he, he's our quarterback. Now, plenty of time to obviously go back on that, but uh, interesting to to get those words and that kind of support uh, from Jerry Jones. Kind of gives you a, a, a little bit of a look, a little bit of a peek into what their thinking is potentially moving forward. Well, the thing is, we know Jerry Jones makes these decisions. Yeah. You know, it, it's not going to be a coaching decision, and obviously there's a ton of speculation now about Jason Garrett, and they'll have a new coach, and if that's the case, they'll likely have a new coordinator. So then then Dak Prescott, after three years playing in one system, will have to start to learn a new system, and then that's always, you know, it takes a little time, so it's it could be an interesting scenario, But but as we speak today, he's... He's a piece. He's a complement. The run game has to be the foundation of that offense, and you work off that, and you try to be effective with Dak Prescott you know, doing those kinds of things. But that's, that's what he is. The Eagles blitzed Blake Bortles a lot a couple weeks ago. Do you think that that's something that we could see here Sunday night, or do you think that Jim Schwartz kind of pulls back the reins a little bit? That's a great question. Uh, I don't think he'll blitz quite as much. I think there'll be a little bit more of a concern about the wideouts here, particularly Amari Cooper. Um, I think he'll selectively blitz. I mean, I thought the Titans did a good job with that. You know, I think the Titans are more, are more multiple than the Eagles in terms of their front looks. 
you know, the Eagles, for the most part in their nickel, uh, are pretty pretty basic with their front looks. Um, and when I say basic, it's, it's, it's four-man. They're not obviously always aligned in the exact same spot, but they don't move people around and jump people in and out. And, you know, they, they don't do that kind of thing. Uh, I would say that three, four teams like the Titans end up being a little more multiple and diverse in their front looks when they go to their sub packages, whereas base four-man lines, not as much. I mean, that's a generalization, but I think it holds for the most part. So, you know, I think the Eagles will blitz. Uh, I don't think they'll do it at the same frequency they did against Jacksonville. I would say that probably the biggest key for this Eagles defense, stop Zeke, right? I mean, early on, make sure that's that's where it starts and ends. Yeah, that has to be that. That's the entire. It, it, the Eagles right now are feeling, I'm sure, in their meetings, you know, Schwartz and and Corey Unlin and you know the D line coach, and I'm sure that the thought is that hey, if we get this offense in long yardage situations, we can we can control the game. Yeah, it's uh, certainly going to be a fun and one to the watch. O- the only other thing I will say is you do have to be aware uh, about Prescott running. We saw the Eagles got burned a few times by Blake Bortles running in some critical third-down situations. And I think that I think Prescott's at the point in his career still where, you know, if he doesn't see it, he's going to run. Yeah, and certainly on design runs, when they get down to the red zone, they love him on the zone read stuff close to the, close to the goal question. line. Yeah, that'll be something to watch for sure. Well, Greg, uh, looking forward to watching this game here with you here Sunday night. It'll be a late one for us, but it should be a fun one. Two division rivals going head-to-head. Big game here, really for both teams, but uh, especially for the ones here in Philadelphia. Greg, looking forward to it. We'll catch you here next week as well on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. Great stuff from Greg, and you can follow him on Twitter just like I do, at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all of the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know I greatly appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on social media. That is one way to support the show, but the other is to go onto Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you listen and give us a rating and even leave us a comment. We got a great question this week from Matt, who rated the show and commented on our Apple Podcast page. Matt's question is about Saquon Barkley, and I wanted to include it in this show because we just talked about Ezekiel Elliott with Greg. Matt talked about Greg's comment a couple of weeks ago about Saquon Barkley and where he questioned whether Saquon can ever become a quote-unquote landmark runner, given that he automatically runs from color. So let me quote Matt for the rest of this question. For an athlete to react instantly and correctly every time, he must have burned and reinforced the corresponding neuronal pathways in his brain such that the pathways are as fast as highways. So follow me here. The pathways dictate that response. So in Saquon's case, his response to color, we call these habits. An athlete's neuronal pathways will get so specialized and dominant that changing them is very difficult. In short, Saquon's wiring is the source of his greatness, and it's not going to change. In my amateur way, I judge quarterbacks by the reaction to the pass rush. Some quarterbacks have that fight-or-flight reaction to the pass rush where they leave the pocket. We call them running quarterbacks, and it's very difficult to change that wiring. At the highest level, though, the quarterback is more viable to the extent that he has wired himself in the face of pressure to keep processing data downfield and to delay that flight reaction as long as possible. That's Tom Brady and Carson Wentz dot, 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 and Mason Rudolph. Ha, ha. Of course, that last one is tongue-in-cheek. Great question there from Matt. Great comment. Obviously, that look, he's put a lot of work into studying this topic. I can't go quite as deep into the weeds and the technical and the, and the physical aspect of that, but here's what I can say because I think we agree on a lot of this. 
a lot of people throughout the draft process and throughout the course of the season as well will point to things that are coachable and talk about size and say, this guy is six foot six. You can't teach that. Or this guy runs a four three at the combine. You can't teach that. And that's true. Then we get to the mental side of the game. We hear about this umbrella term, and I'm as guilty of this as anybody. I've been trying to coach myself out of it, but using the word instincts to talk about mental processing. You know, for a quarterback, like you said, Matt, it could be poise and pocket presence. It could be getting through multiple progressions. It could be pre-snap recognition. Just at that position, some of it I believe you can improve. Some of it I don't think you can. Maybe you can a little bit marginally, but not completely overhaul it. Then you go to the other side of the field. Go to linebacker. We talk about instincts. Is that play recognition skills against the run? Is that the ability to key and diagnose, run pass quickly at the snap of the ball? Uh, because that type of mental processing is different than someone's ability to, say, like navigate through traffic. Those are natural instincts to me. The, na- the ability to pick his way through all the interference on a run play between the hashes and find the football outside the numbers. People call it a nose for the football. <clears throat> How about bracing for contact as a tackler? You know, you can drill that and drill that and drill that, but at the end of the day, if a linebacker is conditioned naturally to duck his head as a tackler, to close his eyes before contact and brace himself, I'm not sure how much that will ever change. You go to a running back, the position you brought up with Saquon, and you talk about instincts. Well, what are we talking about? Are we talking about a guy's feel in space to make people miss out in the open field? Is it the, you know, the same for in traffic when he's in a confined space? That combination of wiggle and contact balance, that's a mental trait as much as it is a physical trait. So you know, how about the way he reads blocks in the zone run game? Or you know, some guys have a better feel for that than others. Or playing off a fullback or a lead blocker, same thing. Some of those guys are better than that than others. All these things we talked about, all these individual traits – but a lot of them get put into one umbrella of instincts for any one player. And, you know, before I get too far off the rails here, so let's just get back to Matt's question. I'm talking about Saquon and the trait of being able, you know, being a run for color runner as opposed to a landmark runner. But by run for color, we mean this. When he sees color, and when we see color, we mean opposing team's color, an opposing team's jersey in the hole. Saquon is a guy that will run from color. He's going to see that jersey and he's going to run or bounce. He's going to run away from that as opposed to a landmark runner where, you know, this run is designed to hit this gap. And if it's not this gap, it's that gap. You know, it's either A gap or B gap. It's either B gap or C gap. That's how coaches, some coaches will coach their run schemes. To me, and this is just my personal opinion, to me, a guy like Saquon, the way he runs, being that run from color guy, I don't think that's ever going to change. I think a guy like that will always run the way he runs. Can he get a little bit better? Sure. But I think when live bullets are flying, I think those guys are conditioned to the point where they're, you're not getting around it. So then the question becomes, as a coach, do you coach around that? And are you okay with that style as a coach? Using a back like Barkley as an example, you know, do you live with the five or six or seven negative runs in a 30-run sample just to pull off a couple of 40-plus gains? You know, we face that dilemma here in Philly with LaShawn McCoy early in his career. There's going to be that's going to be a coach by coach question. Not everybody's going to feel the same exact way about it. There's obviously a lot of factors here, uh, but Matt, phenomenal question and a phenomenal topic. I do think uh, some of these instinctive things cannot be overcome. Some of them can get tweaked and can improve. It's a question of knowing what's what, how do you group each of them, and then how do you coach around all of that. That's where coaching comes into play and situations come into play. I can do a whole podcast around all this with people that are a whole lot smarter than me about this topic, but these are the kind of philosophical discussions that are ha- happening uh, all around the year, uh, especially in the offseason around the league. So shout out to Matt and all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast offerings. 
offerings on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Speaking of which, I've said it before here on this show, but if you aren't already, make sure you go over and subscribe to the Feeding the Birds podcast. Our headline chef, Tim Lopez, right here in the NovaCare Complex Cafe, he hosts the show, and the first episode of Season 2 just dropped over the weekend. Tim went one-on-one with Eagles head coach Doug Peterson. If there's one thing that Doug seems to love more than football, it's food, particularly ice cream. So if you want to look into Doug's feelings on the culinary arts, go over and subscribe. It's a really fun listen every time one of those episodes drops. All right, let's keep this show going. Earlier, I told you we would dive into Cowboys wide receiver Amari Cooper and my notes on him coming out of Alabama back in 2015. He's the subject this week in our scouting report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, so Amari Cooper, six foot and seven eight, so just under six foot one, two hundred and eleven pounds. He was a three year starter for the Crimson Tide, lined up at Z, X in the slot, and even in the backfield at times for Alabama, got through press coverage with ease pretty consistently, showing the ability to win early with both his hands and his feet. He's got explosive traits and speed to run away from DBs, showing that uh, at the combine with four four two speed that spring coming out for the draft in twenty fifteen, looked really fluid in and out of breaks on film in college. You know, great separation quickness at the top of routes, a savvy player who could set up defenders for failure and did a great job of attacking a corner's technique, meaning that he stepped on a defender's toes and separated consistently at the top of his stem at the intermediate area. Good vertical player as well who could hold the red line and give himself work, uh, room to work along the sideline. He tracked the deep ball really well, high pointed the football, showing great ability to show body control at the catch point with the ability also to outmuscle smaller DBs in the air. Flashed ability as a strong hands catcher, but only flashes. Used often in screens and on reverses. Good yards after catch guy. Good vision as a ball carrier. Lateral agility to make DBs miss in space. From a negative standpoint, he would let balls into his frame, and he saw a good amount of focus drops on film. So needed to get more consistent with his hands. And as a blocker, not a guy that was going to overpower players on the perimeter. So overall... Amari Cooper coming out of Alabama, I wrote, smooth, efficient mover that effortlessly catches the ball and gets upfield, makes things look easy as a route runner, maybe the safest player in the whole draft. And I had him graded ahead of guys like Kevin White. Though White had better upside, I thought Amari could be a solid number one receiver early in his career. And while he didn't have White's ceiling, I felt better about his overall transition to the league. At the end of the day, he was my favorite non-quarterback on the board in that class. I had him ahead of Todd Gurley, ahead of Brandon Scherf, ahead of Leonard Williams. I loved him, but I believe I've grown in the last few years. And let me tell you why, because players like Cooper, I believe, have helped sculpt my opinion on how to evaluate and grade receivers. You know, when I look around the league and people throw the term number one receivers around so often, the truth is there aren't many true number one receivers in the NFL. And to me, if you are going to be that true elite guy, that number one guy, You are elite across the board. And to make it kind of scaled down, you've got to have elite size, elite speed, elite ball skills, elite route running ability. Like Julio Jones right now, he's in that category. Calvin Johnson, he was in that category. To me, when you drop down just a short tier, you've got guys that fit that mold as that true number one, but maybe they're missing one of those elite traits. Antonio Brown, he's missing elite size. Mike Evans, he's missing elite route running. Same thing for DeAndre Hopkins. You know, those guys are superstars. They're great players, true number one receivers in the NFL, players that dictate coverage on an every down basis. You have got a game plan against them. The Odell Beckham Juniors of the world. But you've got to be elite in so many of those areas. Now, you go a tier below that. A guy like Devontae Adams in Green Bay, they can be a number one target, a guy that can you know call for extra attention, and they're really, really good across the board. A Michael Thomas in New Orleans even. 
They're a primary pass catcher in an NFL offense, but they're missing a couple of those elite traits. So not one, but maybe two, maybe maybe three of those elite traits. Then you've got that tier below that. And those guys are still viewed as number one receivers in the league. Still guys that we would say, yeah, great player. You'd love to have that player on your team where you've got one elite trait, one trump card, if you will, to use a term from draft Twitter. Alshon Jeffrey has elite size. T.Y. Hilton, Deshaun Jackson, elite speed. But what separates those guys from, say, a Robert Woods or a Sammy Watkins or a Muhammad Sanu? Starting receivers in the NFL, reliable, starting quality pass catchers. They've got that one elite trait, that one thing that they can hang their hat on to win on the outside. So this is how I'm starting to view the wide receiver position right now in the NFL. So looking at a guy like Cooper and how I viewed him coming out of college, he was an elite-level route runner. That was for certain. So that puts him in at least that category with the Deshauns and the Alshon Jeffries of the world. But did he have elite size? No. Did he have elite speed? He was fast, but not to that elite level. Elite elite hands, elite ball skills? No, certainly not. He had a lot of drops. So... With how I look at that position now, and this has really kind of evolved even just since this last draft in 2018, how I viewed that group with a guy like Calvin Ridley or DJ Moore, what tier do those guys belong in? As you can tell, I'm still kind of wrapping my head around this whole philosophy, something I'm sure I'll be sharing at times over on the Journey to the Draft podcast. So make sure you're subscribed over there. I've had to cut this short because uh, I could go on for another 40 minutes. I think it's a really, really intriguing topic to discuss, not just at wide receiver, but across all positions on the field. If you're going to start tiering these players by who is elite, who is great, who is really, really good, who's good, who's solid. I think when you look at what makes those players fit into all those tiers, I think it gets very, very interesting to try and dilute that group because there's only so many elite players in the NFL. And I think the wide receiver position, I don't want to say it's easy to define, but it's very easy to kind of point to and say, who are those guys? I don't know that Amari Cooper is quite there. Certainly a quality addition for this Dallas Cowboys team that was looking for help at the wide receiver position. Uh, it's, it's going to be very interesting to see how he fits in long term. So great stuff this week from Greg Cosell. And again, all of you out there listening, whether you're on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or TuneIn, Spotify, Google Play, and of course on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. Thank you. And again, one more time, take a few seconds, go rate the show, leave us a comment. Don't be afraid to leave a question on there as well because I would love the ability to answer it here on the show. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you next week.